How's everyone? You all right? Yeah? Just making sure. I didn't get to mingle this time, so I'm mingling right now. I'm greeting. Greetings to all of you. We are uh, in week six of seven around emotional healthy relationships, and uh, I can, I can't tell, I can't say what this series may have been for you so far. I can tell you, I probably have had the deepest and most significant conversations I've had with people though, in years and years of ministry around some of these different subjects. So I think we're kind of tapping into some things and diving into some things that um, are just really, really important and things that we don't often engage with. So um, we're going to continue on that. The thesis for this series has been emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable and it's not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Um, One of the things that I'm committed to that... um, in my ministry here is that I'm trying to personally bridge a gap uh, between my own life with Jesus and what I feel like he's calling me to do and uh, bridging a gap with all of us around that. And what I'm committed to not ever doing is preach only things that I'm really good at or pretend that I'm good at something when I'm not or place a heavy burden on you that you should be something, and then I go home and live like heck apart from you. Um, Because as I mentioned last week, no pastor lives up to what he preaches. If he does, he is preaching too low. So I don't ever want to present myself in such a way that I've got this all figured out. I do want to represent that we are victorious with Christ, that there is, I have, I have experienced some of those things, obviously, but I don't have it all figured out. Some nuance to this is I try to do what I've committed to. I preach the gospel and I strive to live out the gospel. And I'm in need of grace as I journey to bridge the gap with you all. So if I ever fall short, I need your grace and your encouragement along the way. Because today we are talking about integrity and the integration of that in our lives. And you can have an appearance of integrity, but you always know whether you are or not. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, the things you are doing in our church. The people that are here and the people um, that are engaging. God, I pray we open the deepest parts of our lives to you because the reality is you're already there and you know what's in there. So I pray we let go. And this morning as we talk about the things we're building our lives upon, may we just be honest with you. In your name, amen. As uh, one of my favorite authors, Ronald Roheiser, wrote, he says this, From the minute we are born, we begin to struggle to get our lives together. That is, to come to a sense of who we are, of what our meaning is, and how we can live in such a way that our own lives remain integrated and meaningful and that our presence in the world is a positive one. See, integrity isn't just about being honest or speaking the truth. It's about being true to who you really are and then integrating that into your life. 
Integrity could be defined as this. It's the state of being whole, entire, or undiminished. Or how it's built. Meaning this. Don't just think of this as we go through this. Integrity is just like, I'm just being honest. Think about the integrity of construction. The integrity of a building. The integrity of how something is built. And when something is built with integrity, it holds itself together. You may know about this building in San Francisco that was beautiful on the outside, and yet it continues to lean (laughs) to the right. And people spent millions and millions of dollars on a condo in there because it's starting to shift what it was built upon. Structural integrity is the ability of a structure to withstand its intended load without failing due to the fracture or deformation or the fatigue. So my question is, what is, the, what is the structural integrity of your life? Meaning, what is it that you're building it upon? You may say, I thought this was about emotional and healthy relationships, Dale. Now you're talking about, like, my identity and my integrity. Here's the thought. Like an actor on a stage... You can only play a scripted part within community or a relationship for so long. There comes a time when the curtain closes and your memorized lines have run dry. If you are existing unfaithfully with others, you're potentially causing terrible damage. Here's what I'm trying to say today. First of all, I'm going to give you a biblical example of someone who integrated with integrity. And he guesses who that was. Jesus. Okay. A biblical, secondly, a biblical example of someone who drifted away from integrating with integrity. The rest of the characters in the Bible. Would you say Dale? (laughs) Oh, I'm just joking. I'm like, one, I'm not that old to be in the Bible. Yes, this is true. Third, we're going to talk about us for a bit. Because living your God-given life with integrity involves remaining faithful to your true self. And when I say your true self, I'm not just saying like you be you and live your best life. I'm not saying that. Because this is something that's incredibly difficult. Because distinguishing your true self from the demands of the voices around you and culture around you while living out the calling and mission that God has on your life is an incredibly stressful thing to do. Like I said, I'm not talking about you just do you, like whatever you want, living your best life. I'm talking about a life that doesn't fall in on itself. So there's a great opportunity we have here. A chance to experience emotionally healthy relationships with each other. Henry Nouwen said it this way, to the degree that we have lost our dependencies on this world, Whatever world means, our father, mother, children, career, success, or rewards, we can form a community of faith in which there is little to defend, but much to share. Let's start by looking at Jesus. It seemed like everyone had expectations for Jesus, right? They imposed things upon him. And in the midst of him living faithfully to his true self, who he really was and what his call was, he disappointed a lot of people. 
You see, if we're using the measure that I'm living my life in a good way or I have integrity, I'm living a life that I'm integrous and I have character, that people are always going to be drawn to me, that is not true. Because as Jesus' life showed, even though he loved people, he disappointed people a lot. He was secure in his father's love and himself, and thus he was able though, to withstand the tremendous pressure. Let me give you some examples. Jesus disappointed first his family. You can see this in Mark chapter 3, 21. They actually thought he was losing his mind. They came to pull him away from a situation where he was teaching. And a story that we talked about a few weeks ago was mothers and his siblings really thought that he might be losing it. They came to save him from embarrassing the family even more. And at the end of that, he's like, who is my family? And he opens up the doors. In those moments, he disappointed his family. Jesus disappointed his hometown that we see in Luke chapter 4. He went to his hometown synagogue one day, pulled one of the scrolls out of the box, and he read from the, uh, Isaiah, and he simply was saying, I am the Messiah. The people were so angry they forced him out of town and tried to push him off the ledge of a cliff. And somehow, in some ninja move, it says that Jesus walked through them all. And he got, come on, that's pretty cool. You know, he's all of a sudden it says, but he found his way through the crowd and disappeared from them. His hometown was so disappointed in what he said, they tried to throw him off a cliff. He disappointed his friends. They projected on him the kind of Messiah he was supposed to be. They quit on him at the end of his life. They denied him. They turned on him. They misunderstood him. And, and he, yet he never turned his back on them. And even while he was dying, he forgave them. He disappointed the religious community in Matthew chapter 12. They did not appreciate the disruption of Jesus. They attributed his power to demons yet he was able to maintain a non-anxious presence. So even though Jesus, who was the ultimate example, was able to engage and fulfill and be true to himself and his mission, he disappointed so many people. He loved, he served, he sacrificed, yet he didn't hold anything against people. It's a pretty high level. He integrated who he was with what he did. Let me read just from Pete Scazzaro, wrote this. Jesus was not selfless. He did not live as if only other people counted. He knew his value and worth. He had friends. He asked people to help him. At the same time, Jesus was not selfish. He did not live as if nobody else counted. He gave his life out of love for others from a place of loving union with his Father. Jesus had a mature, healthy, true Self. It might be that Jesus is the ultimate example of what is now called differentiation. See, differentiation is a person's capacity to define his or her's own life goals and values apart from the pressures of those around them. Let's be honest. We get tossed and turned by the pressures of those around us. We change who we are sometimes from the pressures of those around us. 
we get drawn into people-pleasing modes. And we're drawn into others' definitions of who we are called to be. Sometimes this could be generational. We continue to live out the society's expectations of what a boomer should be doing, what an Xer should be doing, what a millennial should be doing, what a Gen Z should be doing, a Gen Alpha, and whatever it is. Or you might be living out how you think you're supposed to view all the other generations according to culture. We lose our way so many times by the pressure that we feel, the people-pleasing. And this comes and pressures us inwardly. It seems like these words marked really how Jesus lived. I don't have to agree with you to remain in relationship with you. I don't have to detach from you, reject you, avoid you, or criticize you to validate myself because I can be myself apart from you. I'm telling you, this is, there's something there. In our society, in our culture, in our lives, so often we are just drawn and drifting to the people that we agree with or we do everything we can to start agreeing with them. Okay, I understand. Jesus, incredibly high bar. This would be like, how in the world do we even do that? But what I want you to hear is this, okay? A fully integrate, when you fully integrate integrity, you can still disappoint people. A measure of whether you're building yourself, your life on something that will not fall on itself isn't in connection with will people still be disappointed? Will you still let people down? The two different things. And it's almost always because of other people's expectations for you. See, the marker can never be approval from the crowds. And the second thing I want you to hear is that Jesus, though an amazing highest bar of perfection, we are in, as followers of Jesus, we are in union with him. Living in integration like he does is what he desires for us. Yes, Jesus is perfect, but we're in union with him. All right, that's the high bar. Secondly, an example of when integration of integrity didn't go well. And maybe you can relate with this one. I'm not sure. There was, uh, biblically, there was a history of deep racism and conflict between Jews and Gentiles. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, was one of the people that God used to tear down the divisions between Jews and Gentiles. He even had a vision where he was able to see, go to a Gentile's house and witness the Holy Spirit fall on him. And he couldn't believe it. And he witnessed it firsthand that God was now with these people as well. So when he went to Antioch, which was just a community where they first called people Christians, he witnessed Jews and Gentiles eating together, and he joined in and did the same. It was a beautiful living reconciliation of people now that Jesus was in their life. But something changed, and Peter starts to drift. So Paul makes his observation. He says this, When Cephas, which is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before, certain men came, for before certain men came from James, which would be like the Jewish leaders, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. 
The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. They were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he's like, dude, your actions even led Barnabas astray. You are in deep trouble. He didn't really say that. You see, this group of highly influenced religious people show up and they see what's happening. And even though Peter, at the deepest places, saw change happen, he starts to drift. Biblically, it says he started to uh, draw back, which kind of implies little by little, the gradual drift and shift of back to who we are no longer. Peter wasn't always like this, you see. He drifted. It was a slow erosion. The voice of the people changed him. So Paul says to Peter, you are not living in line with what you know to be true. That's it, my friends. Are you living in line with what you know to be true? You're not living with integrity. You're not living with integration. You're not living holy. Because emotional health brings consistency when it comes from a consistent place. When we live in conflict with our convictions or the truth of who we are in Christ, we're in disintegration. This drifts into people-pleasing. This drifts into becoming like others. This, comes, this means we are no longer responding from the deepest place in our hearts. When we shrink back to fit into cultural fits, we try to hang on to some sort of faith that pleases everyone and offends no one. Or we take a position that listens to no one and offends everyone. Neither one of those spots are coming from a place of who you truly are. So how do we live this out? Okay, I've presented to you Jesus, perfect example. Disappointed people, though, living from a place of integrity, living from a place that he kept true to who he was. Peter, who had moments of it, but then under peer pressure and the thing slowly erodes back to pleasing other people, and now he's in conflict with who he really is on the inside. Do you ever get there? Yes, I do. We do. So here's what I want you to know. You must know who you are in Christ. And I don't mean this as like, oh, you're having a bad day. Here's what God thinks of you. But this is a reality. First of all, I want us to look at, just for a couple minutes, here are the different areas we look at to build our identity, who we are. My friend Dave, when he was here in February, talked about some of these. We build our identity or we, could, we construct who we think we are by these areas. I am what I do. Your job, what you create, the answer of what you do for a living is you say, this is my identity. If you don't think that's true, if you lost your job, do you wonder who you are all of a sudden? I am what I have. Your possessions, your collections. 
It's not just material stuff. Sometimes this even includes people and influence. Do people still listen to you? Do you still have the voice that you once had? I am what I desire. This includes sexually and relationally. Like, I am this. No, this is just what you desire, what you long for. This also includes where you may have fallen short. Or your identity might be, I am what people say I am. People's opinions, assumptions. There's two sides of this coin, right? Like, as long as people say, I am this in a good way, that's my identity. And I'm doing everything I can to keep that together. Or people's lies to you, and they diminish you, and they lower you. You think that's your identity. As author David Brenner brilliantly wrote in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, which is very, very powerful. He writes this. The true self is who, in reality, you are and who you are becoming. It is not something you need to construct through a process of self-improvement or deconstruct by means of psychological analysis. It's not an object to be grasped, nor is an archetype to be actualized. It's not even some inner hidden part of you. Rather, it is your total self as you were created by God and as you are being redeemed in Christ. It is the image of God that you are, the unique face of God that has been set aside from eternity for you. If that is true, who are you? Are you building a life of integrity in emotional, healthy relationships that is built on the fact that God has made you in his image? But let me quickly share with you what I believe is the combination of some three theological truths from the New Testament that have to do with you. Okay? They are justification, sanctification, and now you're united with Christ, okay? There's this moment of justification. If you've given your life to Jesus, and justification is from the outside in. The idea here is that by grace we have been saved. It is a gift from God, and we flip this sometimes. Sometimes we think justification or becoming justified before God comes from the inside out, meaning if I'm good enough, if I do well enough, God's going to be pleased with me. But the reality is, it's 100% outside in. If we get this mixed up, you are not building something with integrity. Justification. Who you are with Jesus. When you become right with God, it is 100% outside in. And Paul explained it like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do we get that? Justification. Outside God's determined coming in to us. That in itself is an amazing gift from God. My friends, when we flip it, when we start to go, oh, I kind of need to earn that salvation, when I kind of need to earn the favor of God, I kind of need to earn, like, is this really true? Is when the integrity of the structure starts to crumble. The second theological truth I want to say real quickly is this idea of sanctification. Now, sanctification, just like justification is from the outside coming in, sanctification is the inside now coming 
out. At the moment you become saved, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus is in you, and you start to work on the inside. That's some of the work we've been talking about for the past five weeks. That's not super enjoyable all the time. But that's what happens. Now, when we try to make this the outside coming in, it's the opposite. What we try to do so often is we go, I'm just going to follow commands. I'm going to go to the scriptures or whatever the Ten Commandments are. That's how I'm going to get my sanctification. That's not where sanctification comes from. Commands are the steering wheel. Sanctification is the engine that moves it forward. If we were to rely on doing things on the outside to make us better on the inside, it's kind of like smearing food on your body and hoping that will help you. We sit on the faces of babies as they try to eat. We don't look at a baby and there's food all over their face go, man, you must be so nourished. No, you are a mess. Let me wipe you up. But it's the same mindset. When we go, I'm going to deeply change. I'm going to be transformed. I'm, I'm allowing God to sanctify me by me obeying all the commands in the Bible. That is outside in versus letting him change you. This would be like watering the leaves and the fruit on a branch and ignoring the roots all together. Jesus blasts the Pharisees for this very thought. If that's something that seems appealing to you, like I'm just going to do all the right things and God's going to change me. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Man, Jesus is bringing the heat. Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That was not a good day for those Pharisees. Jesus is not holding back. He's being true to himself. He's like, if on the outside is your concern, but the inside is a wreck. Whoa. Stop pretending. The thing that you are building upon is falling apart. So justification is an event. Sanctification is a lifelong process. And then, and this is it, okay? Then who you are comes from your union with Christ. That is the truest, self, truest thing about you. As a follower of Jesus, the truest thing about you, and I'll get to what I mean by the truest the truest thing about you is that you are now united with Christ. You're like, I, I, I know this to be true. That also means wherever you go, you're bringing Christ with you. Paul was so serious about this that he makes this example. If you join yourself with a prostitute, you are joining Jesus there as well. Whew. I mean, my parents would just say, hey, when you're on a date, Jesus is in the back seat. To which I'm like, hey, you just stay here for a while. We're going to the movies. 
But it's not meant to be this heavy burden of guilt. It's meant to be you are unified with the one who was there from the beginning. Think about how you would walk into situations now like that. The New Testament refers to us being united to Christ over 200 times. As most Bibles are laid out, that's like every other page. You're united with Christ. You're united with Christ. Christ is united with you. The logic of the New Testament letters in regards to our union with Christ is so strong that in order for me to become disunited from Christ, Jesus himself would have to be de-resurrected. Which means he'd have to die again or unrealized. He'd have to literally get kicked out of heaven for this to happen. Which means you're pretty safe. Okay, think of yourself as an onion. I know that's what you wanted to do today. I am an onion. This is what I mean by the truest thing about you. The outer peel consists of kind of the peripheral things about you. The parts of you that don't matter as much. The clothes you wear the car you drive, things like that. Some of you are already like, no, 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 no. That's like the inner core. You're in trouble. This is the mist that we talked about in Ecclesiastes, right? Secondly, if you peel it away, next you'll find a collection of things slightly more essential to who you are. The family you were raised in, your personality profile, your blood type, your volunteer work, a little more, a little deeper. You peel that away. The next deeper level is your relationships, your closest friends, your roommates, your spouse. You're like, wait, that's who I am, though. No, we're just started to peel away. I was going to have like a real onion today, but that would have been a mess. And it really would have been the onion's fault for me crying, not just my emotional health. You peel that away. The next deepest layer is what you believe about the world, the truths you cherish, who you believe God is, what your final future is, where you think the world history is heading. Start to think about this. How, many, how much of those things are the things that are informing you and we're not even to the core yet? You have to keep going. The next deeper layer after that comprises your sins your secrets, past and present things about you that no one else knows. But to get to the very core of who you really are, the final and deepest one is you are united to Christ. That is the most irreducible reality about you. Do you hear me? Do you get me? When we talk about emotional healthy relationships, we're talking about skills, but they all have to come to the, from the truest thing about us. And we are, when we are living from any one of those layers, we are not sinking into that place that will hold our lives with integrity. That will hold our lives through the tough times. In another letter from Paul, Romans 6, he says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism and the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we certainly will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I want you to know it is from that place that we build. It is from that place that we should enter into situations and relationships. That is the truest thing about you. From his book called Deeper, Day Nortland writes this, His grace is not a transaction. Rather, his grace comes to us through union. When Jesus went down into the grave to die for our sins, we too went with him down into that grave to die for our sins. As he resurrected, so did we. This would be an amazing time to go, amen. Just letting you know. Might have to hold up signs. This is when, it's like when you go to a taping of a TV show, it says applause, you know, laughter. Ah, whatever. I'm just telling you, my friends, we live from those different layers all the time. We let those emotionally ravage us and we forget who we really truest are. We live and emotionally relate to each other at not the deepest levels, but at those other ones. We have a desire to continue to return to those places we should no longer be either, right? If this is who I am, I'm going to hang out still at this other place. Not physically, but emotionally. I am in union with Christ, but I'm still going to act like how people say things about me. There was an amazing story about um, this prisoner in Nigeria. I don't know a lot about this, the political or the justice system in Nigeria, but from what I was reading, there can be times where you're accused of something and you go to prison for seven, eight years, potentially even longer, before you even have your trial. Like I said, not fully aware. So I was reading about this guy who has spent seven years in prison before his trial date came up. Goes to trial, and at the trial, they free him of all charges. They say, you're innocent. You're no longer held guilty. After the trial, he walked straight back to the van where they took the prisoners, the prisoner van, and he demanded to get back on the van and go back to prison. People were like, you can't do that. You're freed. He goes, they didn't ask me if I wanted to be free. I want to go back in the van and go back to prison. They said there was such a ruckus that the police had to actually like handcuff him to make him not go back to prison. Then to pin him down and it was like this whole thing because he was demanding to go back to prison. And what he said was, at least in prison I have two meals a day. I don't know what's out there for me anymore. It is a tragic story that his life became so comfortable in prison that he no longer knew what free life would be like. And it's a relatable story because we become so comfortable engaging and relating from one of those layers and not who we really are in Christ that sometimes we're waiting to get back on the van to go back to who we no longer are. We are so used to living lives in such a way of how we relate, 
and how we engage when Jesus says to you, I have saved you by grace. I am working in you. And me and you are one. The truest thing about you, my friends, is that you are unified with Christ. Your truest self as a Christian now comes from your union with Jesus. And God's mission for you is to integrate that with integrity in all the spaces of your life. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Brothers and sisters, we need to remind ourselves the truest thing about you is your unity with Christ. That doesn't mean I disregard your emotions. It means I tell you when you're falling apart and you're wondering and you're thinking you're having a, a, a faith crisis because your car broke down, which is totally frustrating. But remind each other, the truest thing is about you is that your union with Christ. Let's start there and come out. As Frederick Buchner wrote, he said this to end. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That is what God's desire is for you. The places of your deep gladness from him and the neediness of this world need, God says, engage there. Let me take a time and just I invite you to close your eyes and take a posture of receiving. I just want to read some truth over you this morning. And then we get into our time of response. I invite you just to listen. I take postures of receiving by my opening my hands up. We're not opening your hands up to me. You're opening them up to God. But that's your choice, your freedom. Let me read you some of these things this morning. As far as sin in your life reaches, Christ in your union with him reach further. As deep as your failure goes, Christ and your union with him goes deeper. As strong as your sin feels, the bond of your oneness with Jesus Christ is stronger. Rest in the knowledge that your sins and failures can never kick you out of Christ. Let an ever-deepening awareness of your union with him strengthen your resistance to sin. You have been strengthened with the power to fight and overcome sin because the power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in you, living and active. Jesus Christ himself resides in you. You can never be justifiably accused ever again because there is no condemnation for those who are in and with Christ Jesus. So draw strength from your oneness with Jesus. You are no longer alone and no longer isolated. When you sin, don't give up. Let him pick you up and put you on your feet again with fresh dignity. Because he lifts your chin, he looks at you in the eye and defines who you are as this, you in me, and I am in you. Father, we pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit 
that no matter what the circumstances and pressures of the world are, we have you and united with you at our truest self that today we can say, I am a child of God and Christ is in me and I am in him. And from that place, we face the world. When we're defeated and the enemy is accusing us, may we say, nope, I am in him and he is in me. When we're in strife, when we're struggling and the world is saying, you are, you are no good, may we say, nope, I am in him and he is in me. May we be people that remind each other and bless each other in this. In your name, amen. My encouragement for you, as we've been talking around all these elements of relationships and how to do it, which is so important, don't believe the lie or the pressure that you feel at just stopping at one of those layers. If we could remind ourselves and remind each other, I, the truest thing about me is I am in him and he is in me. Now, because of that, having that conversation with somebody is worth it. That's what I'm bringing into it. That's what I'm bringing into my family. That's what I'm bringing into tough things. That's why I should listen. Because I should listen because Christ is in me and Christ wants to listen to you, I guess. So I will try as well. Whatever it takes, I want you to know that, that you are unified with Christ. To close, I would love to read this verse together. If you believe it, read it like you mean it which is not, I have been Let's unify around this. Here we go. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing, amazing day.